keep breathing, always a good thing. Breathe in the pain of the world, breathe out uh, the love of God. And it's a practice that you can make a part of your daily life. You know, you catch yourself at a stoplight if you're driving or uh, perhaps you're riding the bus or you're taking a walk and you can just pause for a moment, close your eyes and pull in the pain of the world and let out the love of God. It's a form of praying. We always think praying is saying words, but perhaps another way to pray is to imagine the neighbors that we know and the ones we don't who are hurting and release the love of God into those hurting places, trusting that God is actually doing that very same thing. You know, just about the time every, uh, every week that I sit smugly in front of my journal to write something to say to you all, uh, imagining as I say something that I've arrived. It's the danger of the spiritual life that, you know, I, oh, you know, I read the Bible every day. I, uh, I sit in centering prayer every moment and most afternoons. I have arrived. I've got that spiritual thing together. Just about the time that that happens, I begin to prepare the sermon. And no matter what sermon I'm preparing, I, already, I always find where I'm falling short. So maybe you don't fall short in the same ways that I do. So on Sunday mornings, I just reflect on my own shortcomings and how God is merciful in bringing me out of those shortcomings and hope that it might touch your life as well. This week, I realized uh, as I was looking at the story that Linda mentioned at the beginning from 2 Kings chapter 5, the story of Naaman and Elisha, uh, who uh, Elisha is the prophet. Naaman is a foreigner, a foreign general. Uh, as I was reflecting on those, I thought about how quick we are in today's world in the same way that it's been throughout human history to make others of those either unlike us or that we don't know. And we do that because it makes us feel better about ourselves, because if, uh, and it also gives us a certain sense of control and power. We define ourselves, thank goodness I'm not like that other. Thank goodness I'm me. That makes me good. The other becomes bad. We do it as a nation state, the evil empire anywhere else in the world. Every other nation state does the exact same thing. We're the evil empire to some other nations. Uh, you know, we do that to people who look differently than we do, who are different economically than we do, to people who are trying to escape their own country and come here. We've othered them. Othering is just seems to be somehow a part of our human makeup. It has absolutely nothing to do with our Christian faith. Othering anyone is wrong from Jesus' point of view. From Jesus' point of view, it's all about being perfect in love. You know, the, the, the foundation and the grounding of uh, United Methodism with John Wesley was that all of us, are going on to perfection, not moral perfection, but loving perfection. All of us are going on. In fact, when I was ordained, one of the questions I had to answer is, 
are you going on to perfection? Am I going on to perfection? And of course, the answer is, I am by God's grace. I am by God's grace. Not moral perfection, Lord knows. Uh, as I was driving yesterday, I looked down at my uh, speedometer and I know that I was uh, passing the, Im the immoral line on my, uh, on my speed limit as I was coming down the interstate. As I saw all of my neighbors pulled over by uh, various uh, flashing blue lights, I was thankful that I hadn't been the first one to come upon them, and I would take my foot off the accelerator. My most, our, our car doesn't have cruise control, so I couldn't set it for a speed, so sometimes my foot's on there, the next thing you know, <gasps> uh, yeah. So thank goodness I, I caught those moments. But I'm quick to other. It does make me feel better about myself sometimes. When something, when the, when the government makes a decision I don't like, when a different uh, political party than I consider myself affiliated with, these days I can't consider myself affiliated with any of them. Uh, I find myself uh, uh, repulsed in many ways by many things I see happening. And that repulsion leads to my saying, well, thank goodness I'm not like them. Thank goodness. And our country is replete with that. We othered our African sisters and brothers so that we could enslave them. White people did. I mean, we have a long history of othering throughout history. So what's interesting to me is today's story. Because in it, the other, uh, it, it takes a different twist on the other. And I, we're going to talk about that today. Because othering is something we need to learn to catch and stop doing. So the story from 2 Kings, which is one of the books of the Hebrew Bible, uh, in chapter 5, and I'm beginning with verse 1. Now Naaman was commander of the army uh, of the ruler of Aram. He was a great officer and highly esteemed. It was at Naaman's hand that God gave a victory to Aram. He was a mighty warrior and he had leprosy. On one of the raids, the Arameans captured a young woman who was an Israelite. She served in Naaman's house, specifically Naaman's wife. One day she said to her mistress, if only Naaman would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure Naaman's leprosy. Naaman went to the ruler and told him what Israel, the Israelite woman had said. By all means go, the ruler replied. I will send a letter to the ruler of Israel. So Naaman left, taking ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the ruler of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my attendant Naaman to you, so that you may cure him of leprosy. As soon as the ruler of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a fight with me. When Elisha, the prophet of God, learned that the ruler of Israel tore his robes, he sent a message to the ruler. Why did you tear your robes? Have Naaman come to me and he will learn that there is a prophet in Israel. 
So Naaman went, to, uh, went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to the warrior, Go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand before me, calling on the name of Adonai, and wave his hand over the spot and cure my leprosy. Are not the Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than any of the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went away in a rage. Naaman's attendant went to him saying, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you to wash and be cleansed? So Naaman went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the prophet God of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a youth. Now Naaman and his retinue went back to the prophet of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Please accept a gift from a grateful person. This is the reading of the Lord for this morning. Thanks be to God. Now listen, from an Israelite perspective and from the perspective of the Hebrew, uh, the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament as we call it, Naaman does not have much going for him. He is not an Israelite. In fact, not only is he not an Israelite, he has led enemy raids into Israel and is keeping Israelite slaves, including one who is his wife's attendant. So Naaman really doesn't deserve a whole lot of play in, uh, in the story. And yet, what does Naaman get? He gets play. Not only does he get play, his name is mentioned. We don't get the name of the king of Israel. We don't get the name of the king of Aram. But we do get the name, we do get the name of the man who needs healing. That's what we get. And then we get a description of him. And it's not an apologetic scripture. He was a pretty cool guy. Yeah, he did some bad things. He took some slaves. Yeah, that wasn't so good. But no, it was unapologetic. He was the general of the king of Aram. And he led raids. He was the enemy of Israel. And yet when he heard that there was a prophet of God in Israel, where did he go? First to his king, and the king sent him to Israel's king. Uh, Naaman gets mentioned. Instead of being othered, he gets mentioned. He gets mentioned by name. And all of his flaws from an Israelite perspective are mentioned. But he's not thrown away. He gets to keep being a part of the story. And the part of the story that's most interesting is he makes his way, he makes his way to, uh, to Israel. He hands over the letter. The Israelite king is convinced that, that the king of Aram is just trying to stir up another war. So he tears his clothes because he knows in another war, chances are pretty good he's going to lose. 
And then we hear from the prophet in Israel. Apparently the king of Israel doesn't even esteem the prophet of God because he doesn't even think, oh, I could send this guy to see Elisha. The king doesn't even do that. It requires Elisha sending word to the king of Israel. And so he does. And off Naaman goes to meet Elisha. Now, I don't know what Elisha was busy doing. I don't know what prophets do in the, uh, you know, in like the 6th century B.C. Uh, but whatever they were doing, he was too busy to come out and chat with Naaman. And that really ticked him off. Because Naaman thought he should be healed because of his stature. Because of who he was. Because even though he was the enemy of Israel, he was an important dude. The prophet ought to come out and talk to me. I deserve somebody talking to me. I'm important. And instead he sends out some messenger. And then the messenger says something that doesn't sit well with Naaman. See, he comes from the country that he is sure is the cool country. And he comes to the uncool country. It's uncool enough to be deserving of being enslaved. So he comes to a prophet of that country expecting to be esteemed and held in high honor and, you know, to have his request met. And what happens? Elisha does not even come out. There's no magic wand waving. There's no shaking of a rattle or throwing some dust on him or anything else. Elisha doesn't even come out. You know, maybe he was taking a trip or a nap or something like that, but he sends his messenger out. And his messenger says, listen, here's what you need to do. Go and take a bath seven times down in the River Jordan. Well, this ticks off Naaman even more. We've got some great, beautiful rivers over in Damascus. Why would I have to wash in the filthy rivers of Israel? They're not as good as my river. But who comes to the rescue this time? Yet another one of Naaman's servants and says, listen, if he had go, told you to go and do something unbelievable, unachievable, you would have tried to do it. All he said is take a bath seven times in the River Jordan. That's all he asked, seven times in the River Jordan. So maybe you ought to do it. What could it hurt? So Naaman, having heard the counsel of his servant, Reed Slave, he goes down to the River Jordan and he takes a bath seven times. And after dipping himself seven times, his skin is completely renewed. What's interesting to me about Naaman, too, is we hear that he has leprosy, which makes him other anyway. Not only is he other, but he's really other because he's unclean. He's got a skin disease that scared everybody, uh, even in the first century when Jesus was around. Nobody wanted to be near one because they were afraid they would catch it themselves. So all those things are against Naaman, and yet he dips seven times, he's made clean, he's made whole, and he comes back to Elisha and says, now I know there's a God in Israel. There's only one God in the entire world, and it's the God of Israel. Now, Amun's life has changed. 
And he's changed from one who others the Israelite to one who is who, who has received mercy from the one he's never showed mercy. And it turns his life upside down. And he starts to worship not the God of Damascus, but the God of the world. His life is changed. Now, the reason why this is, story has so much application, it seems to me, is because I'd like to say we got over othering 2,700 years ago. You know, right after this story happened, we're like, oh, wow. Even a prophet who's telling the story about this guy from another country doesn't other him. He actually brings healing and mercy to him, despite his otherness. What does that teach us about us and all our othering? You know, Republicans other Democrats, Democrats other Republicans, you know, we other every other country in the world, unless they completely agree with us. They other us because we don't completely agree with them. We other people who look different than we are, or who are differently gendered than we are. You just name it, we will other everybody else. We are in the business of othering. It often makes us feel better because if, thank goodness I'm not like them. The bottom line is, there's just not space for that in the Bible. Othering doesn't work. In a story that doesn't even name the kings of the country, this guy who has fought against the very people for whom this book was written gets named with all of his faults and all of his challenges, and yet there's mercy for him too. Man, I really did not appreciate this story. You heard me right. I did not like this story this week because I found all of the people in my own brain that I was othering. People who didn't agree with me. People who didn't think like me. People who couldn't get God's love. The people who sometimes teach that God, you know, is teaching us to dislike certain people for their lifestyle or for their nationality or for their other religion or for their lack of religion. And I thought, oh my goodness, Thank goodness I'm not like, whoops, <laughs> whoops. There's no thank goodness I'm not like that because I am like that. I want everybody to agree with me. And I sometimes, we all think we're right, but I sometimes think, listen, you must be stupid if you don't agree with me. I admit it, I think that. If you're not stupid, at least ignorant. Because clearly, I know what I'm talking about. Everybody else must not. Oh, my gosh. Now, maybe that never happens to you. I, I, and I'm hopeful for you that it doesn't. But it does happen to me. And it catches me off guard. Here I tell you every week, every week, Every opportunity I get, I tell you, you are infinitely precious and unconditionally loved. You are a gift for being you, just for being you, not for what you do, but for who you are, because God made you to be that person. I say that. And it's not just true about all of you and all of you online. It's true about everybody. 
The people who park in front of my house and block my driveway? I don't really like those people. They are other than me. Apparently they didn't learn the parking rules. And yet, how quick am I to other them? I'm hopeful that this story doesn't apply to you at all, that it's just me. But if you ever find yourself othering someone else, othering someone else because they don't look like you, they don't act like you, they're not from the same place as you, they're in a different economic standing than you, they worship uh, what they think is a different God than you, or no God at all, they go to a different school than you, oh my gosh, my friends who went to Auburn versus those who went to Alabama, you know, between, you know, the War Eagle and the Crimson Tide group, you would think somebody killed somebody. Have you seen how, you know, fights actually break out in parking lots after games, and it's just football. It's just baseball. It's just basketball. It's meant to be a game. Why would you want to fight somebody about a game? We find lots of ways to other each other. And yet, I see in the story of Naaman and Elisha the story of reconciliation and wholeness. You will never be a whole person. I'm sorry to tell you this. I will never be a whole person, completely whole, until I can get over othering other people. I will never be whole. God is slowly healing me of these things, but it requires attention because, on it, just as soon as I am sure I've stopped othering that group, I other the group that's othering that group that I had joined with to begin with. So I want to challenge you. And really my challenge for you is my challenge for me. Wake up. Wake up. None of you are sleeping here, and I'm sure none of you at home are. And if you are, you probably needed the nap, and it's okay. You can watch this on repeat later, or not. Your call. Wake up. One of the most missing things in our world today is self-awareness. I am so quick to judge somebody else because they're not self-aware, while I'm not being self-aware of my own judging of someone else for their self-awareness, or lack thereof. Wake up. Listen to your heart. It knows when you're off base. It knows when you're othering the other. When you feel a little puffed up because you've puffed down the other person, the other group. When you've demonized somebody else. When I've demonized somebody else. I know my, in my heart that that's off base. And I got to spend the week saying, ooh, baby, I thought I'd arrived. Well, guess what? Got some more work to do. Got to pay more attention. That's why one of the things we practice here and talk about over and over again is catching your breath and being in the moment. Because only when you're in the moment you're in do you catch yourself saying, oh my gosh, I was really ticked off with the guy who's holding a sign at the road edge of the road asking for money. 
because I barely have got enough to make it. Why should I give that dude any money or that gal any money? And you've suddenly othered. It's like, oh, there we go. But I certainly, I've got a car. I'm driving by the guy right now. He doesn't appear to have a car. I've already got stuff. Doesn't mean stop and give him money, and that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that we often decide not to help someone else because we've made them the other. But if we're in the moment, we catch ourselves when we do it. We catch ourselves. Why do you think we don't want the history of America taught in its fullness in, in our classrooms? Because some of us are going to feel pretty bad about how we othered an entire group of people merely for their skin color. But that's what we did. So why can't we tell that truth? Why do we not want our children to know we made a terrible mistake, let's not make it again? Well, because it makes us uncomfortable. Well, get over it. It's what we did. We want to stop doing it. The only way we're going to stop doing it is if we're honest about it. So wake up, listen to your own heart. I'll just tell you right now, I just othered all the people in my mind, in my heart, all the people that don't want our history taught. Why can't they, why can't they be comfortable with the truth? What's wrong with them? I just othered them all in my own heart and mind. I'm repenting for it right now. I'm really sorry. Because it's not okay to other anybody for any reason, ever. It's only right to love God and the neighbor. Even the neighbor doesn't see the world the way you do or the way I do. And that's hard. That's especially hard for those who were othered and enslaved by us. And by us, I mean white people. It, it's very hard. I don't know how we're going to build these bridges back, but we've got to start somewhere. And we've got to start by recognizing when I other my neighbor for any reason at all. Where does that come from? What insecurity in me makes me comfortable doing that? Where is the love? So I invite you to pay attention to the moment. Become aware when you other anybody who sees the world differently than you, even if they are wrong. The world will never change if love is not the way we live our lives, even in the hardest moments. And there are a lot of hard moments. There are a lot of hard moments. Can we learn to love my dear siblings? Only through hard work, self-awareness, and practice, and even then, going on to perfection in love, if that is possible. And I said that I believed it was by God's grace and that I was trying. Going on to perfection in love in this life is meant to be the work that we follow. So I challenge you and I challenge me to move in that direction. We're gonna take a reflective moment. There's not a video, there's not something to distract you because oftentimes we watch the video we don't internalize and think about what's going on inside of us. Mark is going to play some music for us for a couple of moments. And I want you to close your eyes and reflect for just a moment 
on the people that you have othered in your life and the people you might be othering now. And some of them might feel like they deserve to be othered, and there are moments, I'm pretty sure, that I have deserved to be othered, and I'm thankful that others have not othered me, that others have not othered me, but have loved and brought reconciliation and healing to me. But the only healing will exist if we become aware of our own challenges and let them go and trust them to God. So we're gonna take just a moment of quiet, uh, reflective music to begin to take stock of our own othering and begin to entrust that othering to God, to let it go in prayer, to trust that God is big enough, not only for us, but for everyone and everything else in this world God has given us. Because not only are you infinitely precious and unconditionally loved, but so is everyone and everything else. And we're called to live that way. So take a moment, reflect, and practice letting go. You may have to do it multiple times and multiple weeks and years, but we've got to begin somewhere. Begin letting go. I'm going to sit down for just a moment next to Linda and let us reflect and let go in this moment. As I was reflecting, I, I don't know about you. You know, I don't control time, but I asked you to do something, and until I got back up, you probably felt that you had to keep doing it. I want to tell you that I went and sat down, and I almost immediately wanted to get back up because the work of figuring out where we are othering is uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. 
We don't want to admit to ourselves that we are making someone else the other. We don't. We don't. But the hard work is worth doing. So part of our prayer this morning is going to be that I'm going to pray for us that we will have courage to keep awake. And in the moments when we realize we are making someone another, we'll let it go. And the second thing is, I want to learn to act on that. When I catch myself othering someone, which allows me to distance them and push them away, I want to, I want to draw them back in. When I catch myself, I want to let go of that way of that I pushed them away. And I want to invite that relationship. It, it's harder than it sounds, or maybe it's easier than it sounds. I don't think so. But I want us to pray that we'll begin to really practice what Jesus did. We so often elevate Jesus and imagine we could never be like him. And the whole reason he came was to set an example of what we could be. If we just gave ourselves over and surrendered. Our need to push others away. To define ourselves by saying there are others. That's the invitation of the spiritual life. So I want us to keep praying for those who are grieving, who are alienated, broken, lost, and alone in our world. I want us to keep uh, in our prayers today those who are in, you know, losing their lives in the face of war and in their own homes and in other places that we imagined would be safe, schools and the like. I want us to pray that our heart would be once again resensitized to a broken world. I noticed that when two or three people are shot, I don't even pay attention anymore. I need at least 10 or 15 before it's really worth my time. That's a terrible way to look at the world. <laughs> I'm just admitting something to you. That's not okay. I want to, re, want to ask God to resensitize us to the pain around us that we might be able to engage the world and bring God's wholeness through discontinuing this whole othering peace and bringing the world closer. That's what God's doing. And that's what God invites us to do. For all those who are traveling this week uh, for the celebration of uh, the beginnings of this nation, when, uh, when we wrote and signed the Declaration of Independence, it was months before it got to the king telling him that we were done. But we declared it on the 4th. So, um, for all those who are traveling, uh, I want us to be in prayer. For all those large gatherings that become targets in our current world, I want us to be praying as well. I want to give thanks for the work of Appalachia Service Project and especially all of the young adult college-age students who are out there making a difference in the world, who are making people's houses warmer, safer, and drier. I've gotten to know some of them, and they are simply uh, breathtaking. 
awe-inspiring, uh, courageous. And they get up and keep doing it even when it's hard. I wish I had the same drive sometimes. I wish I could be more like them. Perhaps that's, uh, perhaps that's enough. We're going to enter into a moment of silent prayer. I'll pray out loud for us. And then we can pray together the Lord's Prayer, a version of which will be on the screen behind me. Let's enter into a moment of silent prayer together. Gracious and eternal God, I can only imagine how hard it would have been for Israelites who heard this story to imagine an enemy had anything to teach them because they had already defined Naaman as an enemy. I am so surrounded by beautiful people who, beautiful diverse people that you made in your image, who have so much that I could learn. And yet if I other them, if I discount them because they're different than me, I miss the chance to be more like you and your son. Lord, give us the courage to wake up, to be present in the moment, to catch ourselves when we are making other people other than us and defining ourselves by making the other less than ourselves. Help us catch those moments, be self-aware enough to let go of those moments and try to find a way to build bridges. After all, that's what we've said our mission here at St. James is to be bridge builders at the intersections of everyday life, intersections where we meet people who are not like us, who are easy to other. And yet we've said our entire mission is to be your bridge builders. Grow us and give us courage. Give us strength when it flags and help us to be more like Jesus. We want to follow in his path. We want to welcome those who are like us and those who are different than us and recognize that we share so much more in common and that each of us reflects in our own unique way your goodness and glory. Thank you for making each of us infinitely precious and unconditionally loved, a gift to each other. We are so thankful for that. Just help us to remember that every day is like Christmas 
or a birthday when we might receive a gift. And that gift is every heartbeat and every breath and every person and every moment of our lives. Help us to be awakened, to enjoy those moments as we seek to be more perfect like you in love, in love. God, we know we're going to mess up. We already have. We ask your forgiveness. We ask that you would have mercy on us, renew us, and strengthen us. We ask that you'd watch over all of those who are traveling from place to place. We ask that you would help us to care for one another, the ones that are like us, the ones that aren't, and that we'd learn to care and love and hold the pain of this world as your son did in his everyday life and ultimately on the cross. We ask this all in his name as we pray now the prayer that he taught his disciples. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen.